the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging Word. So as you, as you heard me tell the children, we are in John. But we're, we're going to back up a little bit, a couple verses, because the original text, Greek text, does not have chapter breaks. There's no break between chapter 2 and chapter 3. And, and the language and the wording here connects these two very strongly. So we're going to back up and we're going to start in chapter 2 in verse 23. Then we will read through chapter 3, verse 15. So John chapter 2, verse 23 is where we will begin. When you're there, please stand. It is our tradition to stand for the reading of God's Word. If you are, don't, are not able, it's okay. Don't worry about that. Starting in John chapter 2, verse 23. Now when he, that is Jesus, was in Jerusalem at Passover during the feast, many believed in his name, observing his signs which he was doing. But Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, for he knew all men. Because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man, for he himself knew what was in man. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. For that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I have said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said, how can these things be? And Jesus said to him, you are a teacher of Israel, and you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, 
and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things, you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so whoever believes will in him have eternal life, you may be seated. Now, uh, purposely here, I'm, I'm not going into 316. But I really want to set the stage. I think we've all watched the Olympics or a ball game or something, and there's somebody holding that sign. John 316. Okay? And I don't think most people put that in its context. Just like anything you say, if I don't put it in context, people are going to take it all kinds of ways. We want to make sure we take the time to set 316 up. But there's vital things right here without 316 we need to address. But it really lays the groundwork for 316 and forward. So we'll jump back to chapter 2. Jesus is in Jerusalem for Passover, if you recall. And it says, many believed in his name, observing the signs which he was doing. Now, I, I don't want to be technical here, but the word believe here is actually twice in that section. It's used of the people. But when it says, that, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, same word, two-letter difference in the Greek. And there's a big difference in those. But these people believed why? Because of the sign. It connects directly to Nicodemus because Nicodemus says, we know that no one can do the signs you do unless they're from God. So he's responding. He's one of those people who saw the signs and believed in that sense. My question is, what sign? Do you remember what happened last week? We talked about the cleansing of the temple, that first cleansing. That's what they've seen in Jerusalem. They, they weren't there at the wedding of Cana, which was the first miracle Jesus did. Those people in Jerusalem weren't there. Neither was Nicodemus. So the sign he sees is the cleansing of the temple. That, that's the only sign we know. Maybe there's another one there, but I would have to eisegete. I'd have to put into the text something that's not there. I do know that is what they saw was that cleansing. What's interesting is when you, and I, again, I don't want to be too technical here, but when it says they believed, it's in something called the errorist tense in Hebrew, and you go, who cares? I know, but there's, it really means a single, one-time action. They saw an event, and they believed. Believed in what? What they saw. It's not hard. Okay, it's a, it literally, I take this from a lexicon, a snapshot which captures an action at a specific point in time. So they believed, they cognitively, cognitively acknowledged, if I could say it like that, what they saw. This was real. This was true. This was actual. But then it says this, that, but Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Same word. But this time, it's what's called in the imperfect tense. That is, he, he sees them believe, but his not believing in them if I could say it like that, not entrusting in them, continues, has no implication in the language of some point of completion compared to, I picked fruit. We all know that means I started and I ended at some point picking some fruit or driving my car or whatever it is. 
but we don't have the same tenses as they do. This is Jesus. Wait a minute. I don't. I know you believe in what you see, but the Bible tells us he knows. He knows all men, and he knows what's in men. That is mankind. So he knows each person, but he also knows the nature of people. I think as the older you get, you get a little wiser on some of that, right? Hopefully you know people a little better. But, but Jesus here says, wait a minute, I, I know you're belie- you believe because you see these things. Mm, but I'm not entrusting myself to you if that's the way you believe. So no chapter break moves right into Nicodemus. It segues right to that. What is interesting, in the next, through, all the way through chapter 5, Jesus has these conversations, like he has with Nicodemus, with some people, and he sort of cuts right to the chase. The, the Samaritan woman, he goes right, I'm going to say for the throat, if I can say that. He doesn't mince around, he goes right to it. This Gentile official that wants his son heals, he goes right to that. And the man the pool of Bethesda, he bypasses him. Well, don't you want to get healed? Well, what do you think I'm sitting here for, right? He, he's sort of direct in these points. So Nicodemus comes in and says, hi, and then Jesus goes, boom, with something that sort of hits Nicodemus off guard as we keep going, okay? Now, Nicodemus is a Pharisee, which we've talked about a couple of weeks of what they believe, what they don't believe. But, but um, it means that really that Nicodemus has spent his life Focusing on trying to get right standing with God via works. Very pious. So, so trying to become righteous by works. He is a ruler, it says, of the Jews. He actually sits on the Sanhedrin, which is a, a court that has 70, I'll say, regular judges, and then the high priest sits up there, so there's 71. Okay, We know we see that in Jesus's. A trial before the Sanhedrin, okay, and you hear them spoken of throughout the Gospels, and we do find later that Nicodemus speaks up in the Sanhedrin uh, on behalf of Christ, okay. But it means we also means he was wealthy. Matter of fact, Jewish tradition in the Talmud and all that puts Nicodemus as the wealthiest guy in Jerusalem at his day. I can't prove that; that's just in Jewish tradition. But he was wealthy. That means he was educated. He was respected in the community, those kind of folks. All right? So a religious ruler. And, and for us, that sort of mix. But you've got to remember, in the Jewish culture, that government, religion blended. And, and so this is a kind of guy that... that um, I'm, so I'm trying to think of something in our culture that would relate to that. I'm not sure what would. But he comes at night, this respected, wealthy, educated... Um, ruler of the community, not just the local community, but much of Israel, he comes to Jesus by night. Now, scholars have all kinds of ideas of why he comes to him at night, like you heard me say to the children. Perhaps he just wanted to get God, Jesus alone. And that was a little hard to do during the daytime, perhaps. But I think it's important that we look at the way John, in his gospel, uses the word night or darkness multiple times, I'm not going to give all the verses to you now, but it's often, often a metaphor to indicate moral and spiritual darkness, lostness, 
Even in chapter 1 we ran into that. So, so I think one of the things that John's trying to point out is that Nicodemus is coming in the dark. How do I Because even Jesus says, boy, don't you get this? He calls Jesus rabbi. Okay, so rabbi, we've talked about this before, but in this case, it's a statement of respect, sir. So when I traveled to Southeast Asia, because of the military that had been there, our military had been there and from the Spanish-American War on, and Timothy and Mike and others been with, they refer to us as sir, Sir Randy. Not because I've been knighted by the queen. It's that statement that they give as respect. So whether he thinks, because the word really means my master, I'm not sure Nicodemus is saying that here, as, as maybe one of the disciples is, but he's saying the word in a way of respect because it really means we learned in chapter 1 and chapter 2 where John explains. He says rabbi, which means teacher. Well, in this text, Jesus, he says to Jesus, rabbi, okay, uh, you're a teacher. So teacher, you're a teacher. That doesn't make a lot of sense, so most scholars believe it. This is like a statement of respect. I recognize there's something special about you, typically held for somebody educated. Okay, and there's no sign that Jesus had a formal rabbinical education. Okay, we know that you have come from God as a teacher for, because no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now, he doesn't say he is God. When he says from God, he he doesn't mean he's the son of God. He's saying, we know that you're a teacher sent from God because only somebody sent from God can do these things. Now, is that necessarily true? Well, no, the Bible does teach there are false miracles and false signs done by false teachers. So I'm not saying that Nicodemus' theology is right here, but that's what he comes with. But I think it's interesting. What is a sign? A sign is just a symbol that points to something else, right? The purpose of a sign, it really is to direct your attention from you're driving down the road and there's that sign that shows a right turn. Hopefully you don't sit and stare at the sign and go straight off. You, you get your sign off the focus of that sign, you look at the road and sure enough, there it is turning. And the point of the sign is sort of get you off the symbol to get you on to the thing it's symbolizing, the significant part of it. So Nicodemus here recognizes that Jesus' activity, what he's doing, is of divine origins. He acknowledges that Jesus' I'll say ministry at this point is sanctioned, if I could use that term, by God. He, he honors the fact that Jesus can do something amazing, these signs. Okay, admits that his works are from God, and he's from God. All right, so in a sense, you can almost say Nick's coming with oh, sort of a openness. Persuade me. And now wait a minute, a Rabbi. We, we we know that what you're doing here is from God. You're sent from God, right? And what gives me is Jesus answers him like he asks a question. Nick never asked a question. And Jesus answered. Why does Jesus respond the way he does to Nicodemus' statement? Because he knows all men. He knows what's really in Nicodemus. He knows what really he's seeking. 
no matter what he says, because I'm putting that with chapter, the end of chapter 2. So Jesus' response is really not a response to what Nicodemus said, as much as it is a response from what was inside Nicodemus. Now, Jesus does not affirm Nicodemus' belief. Now, many believe because of the signs they saw. Nicodemus, okay, I believe you're from God. Jesus says, you got it, you're in now. That ain't what he says. He says, unless you're born again. But he starts with these two words, amen, amen. That's truly, truly, here's amen, amen. By the way, that Jesus is the only one in Scripture who does the double amen, and is the only one that puts it at the beginning of a sentence. To emphasize the importance of what he's going to say. Amen is this. It is, and so it shall be. How many of you have seen the, the movie The Ten Commandments? Remember when Pharaoh go, let it, so let it be written, so let it be done. Kind of thing. It's that emphasis that this is now set in writing in, in the movie. Okay? And, and this, well, I'm going to let you know this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless. Now, there's a couple unlesses here in this passage. There's actually uh, four in chapter three, three of those right here. Unless, which is a statement of condition, is it not? Except for these circumstances or this condition. So, so it's sort of exclusive. There's no plan B. Unless this, uh-uh. No other options here. What is that condition? That one, unless one is born again. Amen, amen, unless, all other options excluded, one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I want you to listen to what that just said. Unless one is born again, they cannot see the kingdom of God. Of God. I'll let that stew in your brain a minute, in your spirit, and we'll come back to that. Okay? Of course, Nicodemus goes, I don't get it. How can an old guy like me be born all over again? Can I go back in my mother's womb? Okay? He's not, he's not getting it. He's not even seeing it or seeing it. Jesus answers this, truly, truly, I say to you. Now, this part, this confuses some people, and I understand that. I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit. Did you notice? How many of you have something different there? I said, born of water and spirit. Anybody have something else between and and spirit? The word the, I'm sorry, it's not there. In the Greek, the the isn't there. It's whoever, unless one is born of water and spirit. It's a one thing. It's not, it's not two separate things. It's one thing. The of, that genitive, goes with both those words. Okay? You cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what's interesting, whatever this statement means, which we'll talk about, he expects Nicodemus to know what it means. Verse, chapter 10, or verse 10. Uh, you're a teacher and you don't understand what I'm saying? So this means we have to look at what would Nicodemus know that Jesus expects him to know, or what should he know, okay? This can't be a statement of Christian water baptism. Nicodemus wouldn't know what that is. All right? 
I, I, I think it draws upon the symbolism from the Old Testament. Since Nicodemus was an expert in Old Testament, being a Pharisee, being rabbinically trained, being on the Sanhedrin, that boy's supposed to know the New Testament, like the Apostle Paul, who was a Pharisee. So water is often symbolic, because isn't that what he's talking about, signs? Symbolic of spiritual renewal, cleansing from, from uncleanness, from sin and so on. And Numbers 19, Isaiah 4, Isaiah 32, Isaiah 44, Isaiah 55, Joel chapter 2, Zechariah chapter 13. But let me take you to one in particular. Ezekiel 36, 24 through 28. The Lord is speaking to Israel. And I will take you from the nations and gather you from the lands and bring you into your own land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit within you. Can I put it this way? You'll be born again. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to obey my ordinance. This idea of cleansing in the Spirit, this cleansing of water and the Spirit going together. Unless you're born of water and Spirit. Okay. I, I believe this is what Jesus is referring to, is that water symbolism connected with the Spirit that you find and cleansing okay, and new life in the Old Testament because that is something Nicodemus should know. He should understand that symbolism. Okay, and especially if you understand the way Jewish folks, especially in those days, and today um, there are groups that still do that, but, but the, the Jewish, particularly the rabbis, behind everything they see in that Old Testament, there's a deeper spiritual symbolic meaning. Even to things you and I'd go, what? Okay, so it was something part of that culture. Nicodemus should know, unless you're born of water and spirit, you can't see the kingdom. And the context here is putting you in the land. Okay? And he goes on to say, now he drops the word water here. Okay? That which is born of flesh is flesh. Okay, you have to be born of water and spirit. Never mentions flesh. Now he says, but that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is spirit. Yeah, I mean, isn't that sort of a given? I mean, you'd think, right? Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. He's trying to say, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm not talking about your mother's womb, that flesh thing. I'm talking to you about spiritual birth or new birth. Then he says something we all go, I, I, what does this have to do with anything? He says, well, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear a sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Spirit. Huh? Well, I'm going to be direct with you. The word, the wind blows where it wishes, is the only place in the entire New Testament, the word pneuma, is translated wind. Everywhere else, that word is translated spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the word ruach is translated both ways. But in the New Testament, this is the only place where pneuma, the Greek word pneuma, is translated wind. 
Okay. Now the context, you could do that because the word for spirit just means like a breath to exhale almost. So I, it could do that. But, but, but he, he's saying here, the wind, the spirit, blows where it wants. Now wait a minute, he's talking about spiritual rebirth, is he not? Okay, the spirit blows, it brings new birth to whoever he wants. Now, you hear a sound, but you don't know where it came from or where it's going. There's something you see when the wind blows, when the Spirit does its rebirth thing, but you don't know how, where, when, water, why, if I could say it like that. Now, now modern days, you know, we have them satellites and, and barometric pressure and all this thing, and, and we're, we're, we're guessing where the wind comes and where the wind goes. I'm just asking them tomorrow. Okay, what's the barometric pressure going to be tomorrow? Now, we can explain what we see in, what's happening. When we see that pressure change or... or Heat and cold creates a difference in pressure, okay? And the wind flows from high pressure to low pressure, like all liquid does, from high to low. We can, but I'm going to ask, where's the high and the low going to be tomorrow? Well, we track one. Well, where's the new one going to show up? We don't know. We don't know when the low is going to go away. That's why we all watch the weather guy and go, I wish he was right half the time. Because he doesn't know where the wind blows in the natural, Okay? I know you don't understand how their spiritual rebirth can come. I know you don't get it. Nicodemus says, I, how, how? I, this is just, you're overloading me here. I, I don't know how these things could be. Okay? What's interesting is after this question, you don't hear anything else about Nick. Now, Jesus goes into, I'm going to say a monologue. There's no, he, he talks, then Nicodemus talks, then he, no, Jesus goes into a sermon. Okay? Truly I say to you, what's interesting that you has now gone plural. To y'all, to you, the, all of yous out there. We speak, did you catch that? He didn't say I speak, he says we speak, of what we know. Now, what's interesting, there's a Greek word called, pronounced gnosko, all right, that is usually used as the word know. Here is a different word, okay, ido, to know absolutely by hard facts. Now, I, I think that's important that Jesus uses that word because isn't that what Nick is coming about? We saw and we believed the hard facts. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC PO Box 32, Nampa, Idaho 83653. 
Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.